blessed to have with us in our service tonight, Brother Byron Jackson. Brother Byron is the pastor of the Greater Thankful Baptist Church in Anniston, Alabama. And we have his wife, Bria, and the little girl, Mila. She said, I heard my name. Mila, I'm glad you're here tonight. I am glad you're here. And it's good to have that family with us. Brother Byron's going to come, and he's going to preach the charge to Brother Corey. Good evening. I am uh, beyond blessed to stand before you this evening and uh, to my wife and daughter and to uh, the pastor of this church and uh, to my friend and brother, uh, Corey and Jess. Um, We are uh, certainly excited to be here uh, to share in this momentous occasion in the life of Corey and Jess. Uh, I have known Corey for, it's been some years now. Uh, We actually started seminary together at Beeson Divinity School. Uh, and we became, <clears throat> excuse me, friends as we struggled through Greek and Hebrew <laughs> together. Uh, and, and so um, it was the two of us and one other young man by the name of Aaron Connor uh, who were called the three unwise men um, for, for our struggles uh, in our language class. Um, but he's certainly a dear friend and brother. Uh, I love them both. Uh, and I pray that you'll be blessed and even encouraged. And uh, my biggest hope is that you'll be challenged uh, by the word that the Lord has given me uh, for you. Uh, I'm not talking to everybody else. I understand that. Uh, but you can say amen as well. Uh, for, for my text um, this afternoon, I'm going to be reading from Jonah, actually. Jonah chapter uh, number three. I'm going to begin reading at verse one. I typically read from uh, the English Standard Version, Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Pastor, uh, while they're finding that, how much time do I have? Okay, well see, I'm used to being in church all night, so we'll be out by about 2 in the morning. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And it reads this way. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great journey, three, uh, exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1 reads this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from the disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I'll stop there. I want to talk to you, Corey. From the thought, there is grace for the guilty. Grace for the guilty. My brothers and sisters, um, we've been wrong. Corey, you've been wrong. There have been times in your life where you've made decisions you shouldn't have made. Uh, You've gone places you shouldn't have gone. You've uh, been places you shouldn't have been. Um, And so we all know what it's like to be guilty. In in the eyes of God, uh, our sin makes us guilty. Yet in Christ, uh, we are found to be guiltless uh, because Christ accepted our sins on him and became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Uh, but, But there's this thing about ministry, Corey, where... Uh, sometimes we can find ourselves conflicted uh, when it comes to the goodness of God, the grace of God, and the guilt of people. There will be times where you find yourself confronted, even as an ordained minister of the gospel, with the constant conflict of, uh, is God gracious enough or is God too gracious? There'll be times in your life where you preach messages to people uh, that you know are unworthy of even hearing the word of God. That there are going to be times where you find yourself counseling people who really don't want your help. Uh, there are going to be times where you find yourself in a position where, where you see God's goodness on people who honestly just don't appreciate it. They don't value it. They, they don't care if God saves them. They, they, don't, they don't really care if God shows them grace and mercy, yet you were called to preach. Just like you were called to preach and serve, so was Jonah. Uh, our brother Jonah, if you'll walk with me through the story really quickly, Jonah uh, in, in chapter 1 is called by God. And, and Jonah uh, is called to preach one sermon. He's called to go uh, and give uh, uh, give Nineveh a prophetic message that um, in, in 40 days you'll be destroyed. Why will you be destroyed? You'll, you'll be destroyed, Nineveh, because you have chosen to become sinful. You have allowed your sinful passions to pull you away from God. You have allowed your sin to begin to create a barrier or even a wall between you and God. And God hates sin. So Nineveh, you, you'll be destroyed. 
And it's so interesting that when we read the Bible so many times, we're focused on the grace of God after Jesus. But the truth is, there's God giving grace in the Old Testament. In Jonah, we see that, that God calls Jonah. And Jonah does something that should really be out of character for all biblical characters. But also, it's, it's actually a lot like our character. Um, he decides to disobey God. Now, keep in mind, he's been called. He heard the voice of God. God called him. It's very clear. He heard the directions. He knew what to do. And yet he decides based on his own crazy reasoning that I'm going to go a different way. He makes a decision to go down to a city called Joppa. He gets to Joppa, gets to the port. He makes a decision to get on a boat in Joppa headed to Tarshish. Now, it's interesting. God lets him leave wherever he is and get to Joppa, and God says nothing. God lets him get on the boat in Joppa. God says nothing. But it's in the midst of the water, <laughs> on the way to Tarshish, that God shows up. Because uh, Jonah was tempted, he made the decision to, and Corey, don't you forget that, that you being a human being wrapped in flesh, you will also be tempted. To outrun the omnipresent. You will be tempted, Corey, that, that while you're in this ministry, you, you will believe that you can be called by God, serve God, but outrun God. You, you'll believe that, that at some point in your ministry, this isn't what I really want to do. God may be calling you to go serve somewhere else. God may be calling you to rebuke a, a sinner. God may be calling you to give exhortation to the congregation about a sin that's hitting the whole body. And for some strange reason, you'll feel like, God, this ain't really my thing, so uh, I'm not down for that. <laughs> and God has a way. Showing up just when you think you've escaped. It's in the middle of the water. You know the story, don't you? It's in, it's in the middle of the water that, that God shows up, allows a storm to begin to brew. Uh, and, and everybody on the boat is like, wait a minute. We've come this way all these times and we've never had this kind of problem. It's ironic that, that uh, idolaters and even people who don't believe in the God Almighty have sense enough to understand that this is a spiritual problem. Because, Corey, they look at Jonah when they finally realize it's Jonah, and, and they begin to say, listen, uh, well, well, everybody call on your God, and we're going to figure this thing out. Corey, Jonah, in running from God and disobeying God and attempting to outrun the omnipresent, puts everybody in the boat with him in danger. And Corey, you've got a beautiful bride sitting next to you, and, and in your attempt to serve God, your flesh will begin to pull at you. Your, your sinful nature will begin to tug at you. And if you ever give in to that, uh, to that call of the flesh, you put everybody in your boat in danger. Not just your wife, not just your children that will come along one day, but even your ministry. You, when, when you begin to get away from God, you put everybody in your boat in danger. So you know what they do. They, they tell, they say, okay, well, we, we know how to deal with this. Uh, let, let's just get him overboard. So they throw him overboard. He's now in the water. The Lord appoints a fish to swallow him up. Uh, I, I'm going to go and cut across the field. That he, he swallowed up whole. 
then spit out and ends up on the shore. In chapter three, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. In my church right about here, I would say you don't know when to shout. (laughs) The word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time, giving him the same directions. And he makes a three day journey in one day. Probably because he wasted a couple of days going a direction that he shouldn't have been going in the first place. The work is always harder when we choose to disobey God in the beginning. We always spend our time playing catch up when we choose to run away from God's urgings in the in the beginning. But let me haste on to my point here. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Says to Nineveh, yet 40 days and Nineveh Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the Bible says that the people call a fast. They get away from their sin. They go into calling on God. And either Jonah sticks around for 40 days or he's somewhere where he can get word about what happens on day 40. The Bible says that God relents chooses not to do what he said he was going to do. Chapter four, verse one says, and Jonah got mad. Now, this really struck me because I'm trying to figure out, Jonah, why would you be upset about God being nice to sinful people? Jonah, how is it? And and here's that here's that tug, Corey, for ministry. How is it that 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 you have the egregious gall to get upset about God being nice to sinful people? I want to submit to you that, that Jonah does this because he is theologically mistaken. His view of God is obviously off base. His his idea of God's character is obviously off course. And if I can present you three things, I believe that Jonah gets upset in chapter four. Because, uh, number one, he forgets the purpose of his preaching. Corey, you're going to be tempted to believe that your preaching is merited because it comes out of your mouth. You'll reach a place. Don't, 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 let any, don't let any of these wonderful holy preachers and people out here in this world fool you to think that, that, that you're never going to be tempted to believe that, that I'm the one that makes this happen. Don't, don't, ever, uh, don't ever believe that, that you're so immune to your own ego that all of the old oh, brother, you really preached that sermon today. Don't, don't ever believe that that won't begin to creep into your head. And Jonah gets mad at God because Jonah uh, fails to understand that the words that he shared were never his. When you stand here behind this sacred desk, when you stand in the fellowship hall and you minister to those young people, listen, those aren't your words. Those are God's words. And any words you put with those words, they just go along with the word that you added words to. Those are God's words. And he gets upset with God because he thought that since God called him to preach it, God owed it to him to make it come true. (laughs) Might I remind you, Corey, that the same way God didn't know you to call you, God doesn't know you anything. 
And if I can pause here, Pastor, forgive me, but it's true for all of us. God doesn't know us anything. The clothes on our back, he doesn't know us. The, the, the cars we drive, he doesn't know us. The, the ministry platform that you have, he doesn't owe you that. And he certainly doesn't owe you to do what you want. You'll begin to believe that, that since I'm serving you, since I at least answered your call, even though I did it begrudgingly, even though I chose to go in another direction initially, at least I did come and say it, God. And the least you could do is do what you said you were going to do. Number one, he forgets the purpose of his preaching. But secondly, I believe that, that Jonah gets upset because secondly, he leaps into the Lord's lane. Jonah feels that because the words came out of his mouth, even though they came from God, since those words came out of his mouth, the people he, were pre- he was preaching to, he believes that, that he has the authority to say who's a candidate for grace. Notice that in chapter four, he basically says, based on the connotation of the text, that God, you should have destroyed him. Now, this was frustrating for me because I, I'm trying to, to really wrap my head. Now, while I can sympathize as a pastor with Brother Jonah, that, that I, I, there are times where I feel like some people need to get it. <laughs> you didn't hear that. <laughs> but the truth is that, that Jonah must remember, just like you must remember, I've got to stay in my lane. Just because I'm a called man of God, just because I'm a preacher, doesn't mean that I somehow assume this God having authority to say who's a candidate for God's grace. God, God uh, shows grace to a sinful group of people who this wasn't the first time they were sinful and it certainly won't be the last time they were sinful. If this was the last time, if this was really the time they got it, there wouldn't have really been a need for Jesus to, re- to come and restore Israel. But yet Jonah says, you know what? This is exactly why I didn't want to come, God, because I know you. I know you. I, I know you, God. You're so gracious. Jonah fails in this aspect because Jonah is preaching to people he thinks he's better than. And I want to remind you, brother, you can't serve people and serve people rightly that you think are beneath you. He's looking, he's looking at these people and say, okay, you're sending me to, to be your mouthpiece to declare the destruction for this sin. The least you could have done was take them out. He says that, God, you didn't do what you said you were going to do, and he leaps into the Lord's lane, but he doesn't have God's vantage point. He tries to make a decision with the authority of God, yet he's not sitting where God sits. Because just because I didn't destroy them, Jonah, doesn't mean I didn't do anything. Because he heard the Lord's voice, but obviously doesn't know the Lord's character. God is less concerned with rules and more concerned with souls. That's why here in the text, God sends him by telling him, brother, go tell them that in 40 days I'm going to destroy them. Well, somewhere between day one and day 40, they stepped back from their sin. 
And that alone, the Bible says, when when God saw what they did, he relented. But obviously, Jonah was more concerned with the destruction than with the transformation. And we must remember that if we're going to preach the gospel to people, we must be concerned with souls. There there are plenty of people who uh, get warnings from God. And we must not be so consumed in waiting for God to bring that down as we are them changing and walking closer to God. Number one, Jonah forgets the purpose of his preaching. Secondly, he leaps into the Lord's lane. But thirdly, and I'm done. Now, I'm Baptist, so I'll probably say that two more times. Um, He leaps into the Lord's lane. But thirdly, he accuses the father of a character flaw. Okay, in all honesty, uh, I could have just preached this one point and been done. But but I, I think it's good that we build to here. He forgets the purpose of his preaching. He leaps into the Lord's lane. And thirdly, he accuses the father of a character flaw. Watch here. He says to God, uh, this is what I was trying to tell you before I fled to Tarshish. God, the truth is you're good. You're gracious and you're merciful And you're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love. And you know what? You love people so much that that you're even relenting to your own anger. So, God, you're good. But the problem with you, God, is you're good to a fault. You're so good. You're so good, God, that, that you made me come here. Tell these people you were going to kill them. Didn't do what you said you were going to do. And you made me go through all of this mess to get here to tell people that you were going to kill them. And all you really wanted them to do was change. I'm upset about this, God. I'm, I'm upset because you've allowed me to personally Go through so much trouble, so much heartache to preach to people who took you for granted in the first place. You you are so good that you were putting my life on the line. You you do remember I got kicked off a boat for this mess. (laughs) You you had me swallowed up by a fish. You, you, you had this fish spit me out all to come and tell people something that you didn't even really seem to plan to do. God really lays the hammer down, Brother Cora. If God was to respond to, to what Brother Jonah complains to him, and let, let me stick a pen there for just a second, uh, because I think you need to hear this. Uh, Number one, God can handle your anger. When you are angry with people, when you're angry at your wife, when you're angry uh, at your pastor, when you're angry with God himself, God is big enough to handle your anger. 
Don't 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 you don't you let that bottle up inside of you. Don't 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 you let that begin to take hold of you. When we look at the news or we read the paper or the articles about so many ministers committing suicide and taking their own life. I believe it's because so many of us not only mental illness, but we have so many things that because we're supposed to always look like we've got it together. We're not talking to anybody and our prayer lives are in shambles and we're not sharing our pains and our burdens. Talk to God. Then. If God was to respond. Here's what God would have said to Jonah. Jonah says, you're so good, God, that you're good to a fault. You made me come all the way here. You didn't do what you said you would. And you made me go through all this mess to get here. Here's what God would respond to Jonah. Jonah. I needed you to catch what I called you to carry. I need you to understand what I told you to unveil. I needed you to experience what you were called to exhort. And I needed to show you what I'm making you share. I want to make sure you understand this. You do remember that Jonah had the nerve to say that this group of people who had fallen into sin should have been destroyed. He got mad because God didn't destroy them. So therefore, God, you should have destroyed them. He's upset because God has grace for sinful people. But let's go back to chapter one just one more time. I told you I'm almost done. Got one time left. Let's go back to chapter one. God calls Jonah. Says to Jonah, Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell Nineveh in 40 days, I'm going to destroy them. Jonah gets up from the presence of the Lord and goes to Joppa. Gets on a boat in Joppa, headed to Tarshish. God meets him in the water, has to have him thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, whole. Spit out and ended up on the shore. The word of the Lord comes to him the second time. In order for Jonah to truly be called and truly and righteously minister to people, he has to first see the need for grace in his own life. See, while he was looking uh, at, at, at that entire instance of Joppa to Tarshish, the boat, the water, the fish, the shore. He was looking at that as trouble. When in reality, Joppa was sin. The boat was disobedience. The water was the U-turn. The fish was preservation. And the shore was another chance. he's been given another chance to go tell people that they've been given another chance so in this ministry court always be humble I charge you brother be humble I charge you to always be looking for the parallel of the people you preach to in your own life Because just because you haven't done exactly what they've done, you've done something like what they've done. You may not have done that thing 
But you've done something. And in the eyes of God, sin is sin. And thirdly, before you stand behind any sacred desk, open this Bible, read a text and proclaim God's word. Always thank God and be reminded of the grace that God has given you. I love you, brother. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. Thank you, my brother. I feel like at that point we need to have an altar call for all the preachers in the building. Um, thank you. Thank you. Have y'all ever received a gift that you didn't really think you wanted? Uh, you weren't really sure you needed? I had that happen to me this past Christmas. Um, my parents got me a set of Apple AirPods. And they told me when I got them, they said, we got you these because we just didn't know what else to get you. Like, say, you got me a $140 set of cordless headphones. I've got the ones that came with the phone. What do I need these things for? And so I didn't have any idea what to do with these things. I had no idea. I felt too guilty to take them back because my parents got them for me for Christmas. And so I just, I put them in my book bag that I carry my stuff in, and I left them there, wrapped up. Didn't know what to do with them. Until finally, the guilt got the better of me, and I opened them up, synced them to the Bluetooth on my phone, and started using them. And I want to tell you, they are amazing. They are amazing. Like, I'd seen all these people walking around with these things. Like, you know, you see them at, uh, at Walmart with these things in, and they're just talking to themselves. I am now one of those people. And the sound quality is so much better. And it's so much safer when you're hands-free driving down the road. And you look like somebody off Star Trek when you're wearing them. They are amazing. Sometimes you get gifts you don't know that you needed until after you've got to enjoy them. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 4 that a pastor is a gift to the church from the Lord. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11, and this is not my text. Uh, this is just the text I'm going to read before I read the text. It says to us that the Lord gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the pastors, the pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God gives pastors to churches as twin expressions of the Lord's victory over all things and of His love for His people. So that under the leadership of those faithful shepherds and teachers, those people would grow up into the fullness of the measure of Christ Jesus our Lord. But sometimes, God's people don't have any idea what to do with that gift. We didn't know we wanted it, and we didn't know we needed it. And what is our responsibility as a church to Brother Corey and to our pastors here at Sharon Heights. Tonight we are blessed in this service in that we get to come together to celebrate the fact that God has called and gifted Corey Powell to the gospel ministry. But we are also here celebrating the fact that God has given Corey Powell to Sharon Heights. And tonight it is my responsibility as your pastor to charge you to understand how you unwrap 
and enjoy and appreciate and utilize the gift God has given you in Corey Powell. And I want to show you how to do that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. We can stand as we read God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 12. Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You can be seated. The church of Thessalonica that the Apostle Paul is writing to in this letter is a church that is full of young believers, but they are passionate about Jesus. They love Him and they are excited about the gospel that the Apostle Paul had preached to them, that they had believed and that had changed their lives, that had delivered them from the captivity and bondage of idols to bring them to the knowledge of the true and the living God. And the Apostle Paul says about them this amazing statement back in chapter 1 and verse number 8. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. The Apostle Paul said, Everywhere I go, they are talking about how much you trust in Jesus and how much you love Him and how much you love His gospel. And so you would think that a church that had been founded by the Apostle Paul, that was a church that was full of excited, passionate new believers, that would be the perfect place to pastor. What could be better? than serving in a church like this. But I think you read these verses tonight and you realize there's another side to the story. The Apostle Paul wrote these verses for a reason. Somebody in this church needed to hear this. This is a church that is full of young believers. This is a church probably that is led by young pastors. What could possibly go wrong? And what the Apostle Paul does in this passage of Scripture is he warns them about the dangers of unhealthy dynamics in the relationship between pastors and their church. And you can see, if you think for a moment, about how this could happen. Here's a church that's founded by the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure there are people that came into this worship service every week and they heard the other brother preach and they thought, man, I remember how great Paul was. Paul was so dynamic. He was so gifted. I mean, he's Paul. He's Saint Paul. This guy ain't Saint Nobody. And we've got to listen to this guy, this jack leg every week. Man, I remember when Paul was here. It was great. And then since they are young believers, there are believers here that think, you know, what's so hard about this pastor thing anyway? Anybody could do that. He only works like an hour a week. Anyway, what's the big deal about this? And so there's an issue where the pastors were not experiencing the respect that they deserve. But Paul's language here in this passage, it puts up really two guardrails that help keep the church balanced and help ensure that the relationship between the pastor and his church is healthy and is right. On the one hand, there's a guardrail that guards against the pastor becoming a tyrant. There are situations where pastors, they take the will of the church, and anybody, everybody's afraid to stand up to them. Anybody, everybody is afraid to correct them or keep them accountable. And they feel like they can lead in any single direction that they want, no matter how toxic it is, and nobody can ever pull the emergency brake. The Apostle Paul, his words here guard against that as he talks about working and laboring among the people and not lording over them. But on the other hand, there's another error. 
And that is where the pastor is told that he should be the one in the driver's seat, as it were. But he has got a busload of backseat drivers. And no matter where he tries to lead as he follows the Lord, there's somebody pumping the brakes. The Apostle Paul's language warns against both of those errors as he tells the church at Thessalonica, listen, you may understand that God has given you these pastors so that you will grow spiritually, so that your spiritual well-being flourishes under their ministry. God has given you these pastors, but you also need to understand that you are responsible for their spiritual well-being. That God has put them, as it were, in your hands and you have a responsibility to them. So what the Apostle Paul does is he talks about that healthy dynamic or healthy in healthy churches. Faithful, gospel-centered, God-glorifying men lead from self-sacrificial love. They lead with patience. They lead from the Word of God. They love and they give their lives for the work of the gospel. And as they do, healthy churches respect them and honor them. Love them and follow them. So what I want to do tonight is I want to look at these verses of Scripture in primarily negative terms and simply ask the question, Sharon Heights, what happens to us if we fail in this responsibility as it relates to our brother Corey? What happens to us if we fail to obey what the Apostle Paul commanded us in this text of Scripture? And I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of how to ruin a pastor. How to ruin a pastor. First, if you want to ruin Brother Corey, don't respect him. Don't respect him. The Apostle Paul tells us here in healthy churches that the brothers respect those who labor among them. And the word respect there is an important word because it really comes from the idea of being known. In fact, the word's translated that way in, in a King James Bible. If you have a King James Bible, it's translated that you know those who labor among you. And the idea is that God's people view their pastors as human beings. They view them not as religious commodities, not as performers who come in and do their tricks every time, every, you know, a couple times every week, but they view them as real human beings. And as they get to know them, as they know their heart, as they understand their vision, as they connect with their passion, they want to follow where they are being led. Somebody that you know well is easy to look up to. Now, I know Corey's easy to look up to for all of us, but somebody that you know well is easy to follow. John MacArthur explained it this way. Listen how John MacArthur explained this. He said, it's easy to be unkind, and it's easy to be critical, and it's easy to be indifferent to someone you don't know deeply and intimately. And that's absolutely true. Church family, you have a responsibility to Brother Corey to find out what makes him tick. Get inside of that big old brain of his and ask him questions. Get to know Him. View Him as a person. Not as a performer who has to cater to your taste or be cast aside for a different brand. But get to know Him as somebody that God has sent to, what's the word Paul uses? To labor among you. Now as a shepherd, a pastor, his life is always connected to the rhythms of the life of the sheep. As he works hard among God's people. And I just want to exhort you and encourage you as a church family to respect Brother Corey for the work that he does. Because the work that he does in our church is important. The work that he does in our church is life and death. It is vital 
that we teach a generation that is coming up behind us how to think biblically. It is vital that we tell them about the satisfaction of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. Corey's ministry here is to help our young people see and show the glory of God above all things. Folks, that is important. It's important to you today, even if you are not connected with any of the kids in our youth group at all. If your kids have aged out and have moved on, your grandkids maybe go to church somewhere else, it is important that you respect and honor Corey for the work that he does. There have already, in the time that he has been serving here as one of your pastors, there have already been times when he has sat in my office and shared with me about kids connected to our church that are struggling with feelings of suicide, that are dealing with complex issues related to their sexuality, that are struggling with things that many of us could not have imagined when we were teenagers. Folks, what he does matters. It is eternal in its significance. It is eternal in its weight. And it matters. And if you are a parent who has kids in our youth group, what he does is important in the life of your kids. What he does is he, as he faithfully expounds the Word of God to your children, that is more important than them learning the proper mechanics of a free throw. It's more important than reading, writing, and arithmetic. Now, he's smart enough he can help them with that too. But it is important that they learn to think biblically and that you respect him and the work that he does by making sure those kids are in their place when he is in his. It is important that you communicate to your children that their being under the ministry of the Word of God is not only necessary, but it is priority. It is not only important, but it is urgent. And church, that's not legalism, that's Christian parenting to make sure that they are disciplined faithfully under the Word of God. And I know that your beloved little snowflake angel wants to tell you all of their lame excuses about what they have to do and why they don't want to come to church and why it's lame and everything else. But I'm going to tell you something. A 14-year-old boy who wants to lay on the couch and eat Doritos and play Fortnite, he does not get a vote. You're his parent. Respect the Word of God and the man of God because he will be accountable. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17 that you, church, should obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then he extrapolates from that that we should serve as pastors with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. And students, y'all look up here for a minute. I'm going to pastor y'all right now. This applies in 1 Thessalonians 5. It applies to you as much as it does to anybody else here. When He teaches the Word of God to you, you listen to Him. Put your phone down. Take notes. Pay attention. Let the Word of God that He teaches marinate in your soul so that you learn how to think biblically in this life. I told our church in our Bible study on Wednesday evening that there is no better indicator of who you will be tomorrow than who you are today. And there really is no better indicator of who you're going to be when you're 25 or, Lord help my age, at 34. When you're as old as I am, there's no better indicator of who you will be then than who you are right now. And you need to be shaped by the Word of God and sanctified by the truth through what He does. And Paul says that you do this because He is, you respect Him because He is over you in the Lord. Pastor Corey is not a hired hand in our church. Pastor Corey does not have 200 bosses. He does not serve at the pleasure or a whim of a teenage girl whose feelings he might happen to hurt with a difficult topic in Bible study. He has authority to make decisions. He has freedom to lead. 
He's privileged to give input in important situations. And he does have freedom to fail. And so you should esteem him highly for his work and the authority that God has given him. The Apostle Paul knew that he was writing to a church that struggled in this area. I don't believe we struggle in this area. But you've all been in churches where there are a lot of people that had opinions even though they didn't have a calling. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to learn to respect the leaders God has given you. In a healthy church, God's men lead and love well and they are loved well. And when they lead well and when they love well, there is no limit to the respect and the trust and the appreciation and the gratitude that they should receive. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 17, the Apostle Paul said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So church family, make it easy on Corey. Go heavy on rest for him. Go heavy on blessings. Go heavy on remuneration and go light on criticism. Why? Because he works and he works hard. The Apostle Paul says in verse 13 that we should esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And the word work that he uses in verse 13 is different than the word labor that he uses in verse 12. The word that he uses here is a word that means to work until you're exhausted. To work to the point of complete physical, mental, spiritual, emotional exhaustion. If Brother Corey does his job well and he better, there will be days when he will leave this place and he will go home physically exhausted. There will be days when he will go home and his mind will be totally spent. And the thought of even putting something together to eat for supper is going to be greater than his mind can handle. There are going to be times when he leaves here with a broken heart, facing problems in the lives of people that he simply cannot fix. There are going to be times when his wife and one day his children, God willing, Deborah, I'm trying. (laughs) There are going to be times when Jess and those kids don't get his best, they get what's left. Because he has spent his life and spent his mental energy and spent his body and his soul laboring in the Word and laboring over souls. And somebody who does that should be respected for that work. Because that is the mark of someone who loves you the way that Jesus loves you. Who gives himself for your spiritual good. Respect him, honor him, and love him. And respect this young lady and honor her and love her. Her name is Jess. Her name is not Corey's wife. She's a real person who has a name. One day when they have children, working on Deborah. One day when they have children, let those children, let them be kids. Don't make them grow up in a fishbowl where you expect them to be godlier than your kids. Don't be a hypocrite. You love those babies and let them see only the best of life in the church. But if you want to ruin him, don't respect him. Don't respect him. If you want to ruin him, secondly, Paul says, if you want to ruin him, don't get along with anybody. Now, it seems like Paul shifts gears because he's talking about all this stuff about those who labor and then esteeming them very highly in love. Then he just says, oh yeah, be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. There are many pastors that have been totally wiped out 
burnout and have thrown up their hands, not because anybody was really against them, but because nobody get along with each other. These things are not disconnected. So to paraphrase what the Apostle Paul says, your preacher works hard to love him and honor him. Your pastor's on staff, they work hard, love them and honor them and be good to their families and quit acting like idiots to one another. Get along with one another. Now, we don't have this problem here, but I feel like we need to be warned against it because a pastor like Corey, he has enough balls in the air that he has to juggle. He don't need you throwing your personal drama on top of it. Otherwise, he's not going to be shepherding anybody, but he's going to be a first responder who wonders, now what fire am I going to have to put out today? Where am I going to have to triage over here to go and fix this situation over there? If you want to ruin him, if you want to ruin him, then you project the failures of other leaders and other youth ministry volunteers onto him. If you want to ruin him, then you assume that his friendship with other people in the church that maybe you just don't get along with. Assume that gives you permission to pull away from him and from his ministry. If you want to hurt him, treat him poorly, because he treats people that you treat poorly the way a pastor should treat everybody. You listening to me? If you want to discourage him, parents, then let drama between youth group kids allow your kids not to participate and not to come. If you want to wreck him, then you make sure you share every single helpful insight you know about everybody else in the church with him. If you want to crush him, then make sure you do everything you can to pull him to your side in every disagreement and in every argument. If you want to ruin him, don't get along with anyone. The final piece of advice I'd give you if you want to ruin Corey is this. Don't do anything. Look at what Paul says. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You'll notice those verses, they're given to the brothers which are the same people that were encouraged to respect and honor those who are over them in the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul understands that there is a huge swath of people here in the church, some of whom are idle, just little trifling people, faint-hearted, those are weak people that need to be encouraged, the weak, those who maybe are not spiritually necessarily mature. And those are different people. Those are different kinds of people. Those are people in different places spiritually. And Corey, you need to know today that... There are some people in the church that really are idle and they just need a swift kick in the pants for the glory of God. And then there are some people that they really have a tender and a soft conscience and you have to pastor them and nurture them. And it's up to you to know the difference and to know how to apply the medicine that's needed to the patient who needs it before you kill somebody. You know, our running joke is that to a hammer, everything's a nail. Don't be a hammer, dude. So you get to know their walk You get to know their walk. But Paul is not writing here to the pastors exclusively. When he talks about admonishing the idle, when he talks about encouraging the faint-hearted, when he talks about being patient with the weak, he's talking to the whole church. Because ministry is not a professional affair. It's the family business. And there is a very real sense in which Corey, upon becoming a pastor here, And upon being ordained this evening, there's a very real sense in which Corey's leaving the ministry. And he's going into a very specialized role where he trains you to do the work of the ministry. Say, Brother Jesse, I don't know about that. I thought that's what we paid y'all for. Well, the Bible will ruin a lot of tough stuff we do at church, won't it? 
again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you want to ruin Corey, then expect him to do it all. If you want to ruin Corey, then get frustrated when he doesn't have a silver bullet that's going to solve every problem. Get aggravated when he doesn't have an answer to every single question that's on your mind. If you want to wreck him, then overburden him with unrealistic expectations that even Jesus wouldn't meet. If you want to burden Corey, keep your gifts to yourself. If you want to see him burn out, don't volunteer to do anything. Let the youth ministry be that add-on to big church over here. And don't ever get involved and don't ever get invested. Parents, if you want to hurt him, then make him the primary disciple maker for your children. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4, that fathers, fathers are supposed to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Corey is capable, and he's gifted, and he's wicked smart, and we all know that. And we are blessed that God has sent him here. But his gifts are not a substitute for yours. Just because he's going to have a piece of paper in a frame that says ordination certificate at the top of it with his name on it, does not mean that he can do in this church what God has put you to do here. And if you want to hijack what God is doing at Sharon Heights and you expect Him to do what only you can do, church, your gifts matter. What God has wired you up to do, that's important. Otherwise, you would not be here. And if you want to wreck Him, then expect Him just to do it all. And don't do anything. Don't ever do anything. The Apostle Paul ends, or he almost ends, he's almost through. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, he kind of rambles on, he circles the runway a little bit. But he ends with a benediction in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And I want to point this out to you because it's so incredible. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's God's commitment to his church. That we will be presented faultless to Christ. As a bride adorned for her husband without blemish. Without wrinkle, without spot, we will be presented perfect to Jesus. And the wonder of God's grace is that God is going to use Corey Powell in a small way to accomplish that in this life. That means that he is a gift that we need to appreciate and thank God for. Now, I'm going to tell you tonight something you're not supposed to talk about in church. And that is that more than likely, the law of averages being what it is, one day Brother Corey is going to leave Sharon Heights. I'm not saying I'm going to fire him. I'm saying that eventually somebody's going to catch wind of his skill and his ability and they're going to snatch, them, snatch him and Jess and them seven or eight babies they're away from us. And y'all are going to watch him preach on TV before you come hear me preach. And you're going to say, well, I remember, I remember when. I remember when he was with us. 
That may happen, it may not. But here's what we need to do, church. What we need to do is we need to so love this couple. And we need to so pray for them. And support them. And invest in them. And help them. And listen to them. And counsel them. We need to so pour ourselves into them that when that day comes, it'll be the hardest, most gut-wrenching decision they have to make. That when God calls them to their Nineveh, they say, you know, Tarsus looks awful good. (laughs) Because it's been so sweet and it's been so good and we are so blessed at Sharon Heights, we don't want to leave. I assure you there are pastors all over this country who are dying to leave the church they're in. God forbid that would ever be the case here with Brother Corey. Church, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Esteem them, esteem Him very highly in love for His work's sake. We're going to take just a moment and we're going to pray. And then we're going to lay hands on Corey. And so I'm going to ask our deacons, guys, if you would just kind of line up over here in this aisle to my right. Brother Corey, I'm going to have you over here. And guys, as you come by, be sure and sign his ordination certificate. Just take a moment to pray with him, to encourage him and to love on him. This is a special moment in the life of a church. It's a unique moment in the life of an individual. I was ordained in the gospel ministry on June the 1st, 2008. And on that day, I shared with our deacons, there were, there were men who laid hands on me that were ordained, and they were ordained in the 80s and the 70s. And going back, there were men who were ordained in the 50s, going back in the 30s, men who laid hands on them, going back to, on back and on back and on back. Because at one point, the Lord Jesus laid hands on His apostles. And sent them out. And in the next generation, those men laid hands on other young men and sent them out. And those men, they grew older in the ministry and laid hands on other young men and sent them out. And today we are part of that long line as we get to lay hands on our brother. Thank God for him and for God's grace. Let's pray together, church. Our Heavenly Father, we believe tonight that we have been gifted with Corey Powell. God, I want to pray right now as his pastor and as his friend for him and his ministry. And wherever you lead him, do great things with him. I pray that you would bless his life with Jess, that you would, Lord, give them so much joy. Lord, I pray that the years would fly by instead of drag by. I pray that you would bless their home with all the joy of ministry and none of the stress. I pray, Lord, that you would honor her faithfulness to him. Bless him to be faithful and pure towards her all the days of his life. Guard his heart. But Lord, I pray for our church that we would respect him, honor him, and love him. Help us to treat him well, to show him grace when he fails, to be patient. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that we would honor him. That in honoring him, we would honor you because you gave him to us. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.